following is a message from Living Waters Church in Elk River, Minnesota. For more information, visit livingwatersmn.org. How many of you recognize that the presence of the Lord was just as much in the joy we just experienced and in, in what we did with even announcements and what we did with the team, do you feel the presence of the Lord in the midst of that as well? I think sometimes we can feel like when we, we are having this amazing awareness of the Lord moving in our lives, that things like this somehow chase that away. And I just want to remind us that his presence is fullness of joy. <laughs> And that there is something in the presence of the Lord. I was feeling just the delight of the Holy Spirit for these kids and for their willingness and adults, <laughs> especially the adults, uh, for their willingness to step into this. And um, so, Lord, we thank you this morning for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for the work of your Holy Spirit that doesn't stop as we are about the work of your kingdom. And so we just ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come, that you would uh, move through the word this morning. You'd continue to draw us into the prayer that Jesus taught us, let your kingdom come. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would uh, edit and you would um, ordain where we go this morning in your word, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we have already laid the groundwork for kind of where we're headed, uh, beginning to some degree with Palm Sunday when we talked about the king and his kingdom. And one of the things that is important to me is that when we're talking about these important concepts that, that are not just kind of, you know, thoughts or little parables, but they are quintessential How's that for a word? They are foundational. They are essential to the message of Jesus, this, this concept of the kingdom, that we understand what it is that we're talking about. The Bible gives us a lot of pictures to help us understand spiritual concepts. You know, Jesus taught in parables. But the kingdom and the concept of the kingdom of God is more than just a word picture. The concept of the kingdom of God is not a, well, it's kind of like this, and then we imagine an earthly kingdom, and then we go, oh, God, something like that. To me, it's similar to the concept of, the, of God as Father. We can sometimes look at that and say, oh, he, he you know, t- causes us to look at natural families and kind of go, oh, God's kind of like that, and it's a picture, but it's not. It's really who he is, and actually family mirrors who he is. The same is true as it relates to this concept of the kingdom of heaven. We don't, we don't have this teaching. Jesus didn't use this so that we would draw from our memory all of the fairy tale stories we had ever heard and gone, oh, it's kind of like that. It's kind of like a fairy tale king. No, there's a reality of his kingdom that Jesus came to bring. It is a main topic of his message. It is a primary theme, probably the primary theme, and so it's important that we understand it and we not relegate it to a word picture. Amen? We want to understand the fullness of his kingdom. Jesus began his ministry with the declaration that the kingdom of heaven is near. 
John the Baptist was declaring before Jesus' ministry really actually got rolling, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then Jesus was baptized and then he went into the wilderness where I believe it was settled for him his subjection to the mission of the kingdom. If you remember, he was tempted and there was this temptation of the enemy to say, I will give you a kingdom. And Jesus stepped into a subjection to the king and his kingdom and said, no, this is my mission. And then he came out of the wilderness and he began to declare, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. This kind of language, this, um, this reference to the kingdom is used over 162 times in the New Testament, mostly by Jesus. And so when we see in Scripture, there's certain Gospels. John writes in a certain way. Matthew writes in a certain way. Luke. And they have certain concepts that they like to focus on. But this concept of the kingdom is all throughout, not only the Gospels, but all of the letters and the book of Revelation. And honestly, throughout the Old Testament and through all of the Word, we have this understanding of the kingdom. So this is not just a way to understand, it's the way to understand the reality of, of what, what the gospel is. And so we want to really fully come into this. The gospel is about the coming of a kingdom. We sometimes can think about the gospel being the message of salvation, that your sins are forgiven. But the reality, the gospel was a declaration that there is a new kingdom that you can now come and be part of. Not just, you can live in this kingdom and not go to hell, or you can live in this kingdom and not be under the power of sin, but actually, there is a new kingdom and a king that you can come and be subject to. You're not part of this kingdom, but you can be part of this kingdom. And that was, was the invitation. The gospel was the good news of the kingdom. But, you know, we don't really have a context for this. We're Americans. We fought a war to not have a king. We have a president. And in theory, we could vote for that president. Just kidding. <laughs> but we, we don't understand this concept of a king. Even in the world, there's no real true monarchy that really exists anymore. And so even in England, we can say, well, there's a, there's a concept of a king, but... It's, it's not really a true monarchy or not really something that can, can fully represent what it is that we have in this kingdom that Jesus came to bring. And so, really, there's no, there's no way for us to fully understand it by looking at anything else around us. In a few weeks, a new king will be crowned. In England, seems kind of like a formality. I'm not sure how much power he really has. But what's interesting to me is that all over the coronation of this king is symbolism of the king and his kingdom, the ultimate king and his kingdom. They'll place a ring on his finger that has a cross as a representation that he is following in the footsteps of the king of kings. On this staff that they hand him is a dove, and it represents the Holy Spirit, that he will need the wisdom and the guidance and the leading, that he should lead as a king being led by the Holy Spirit. 
they put this ball thing in his hand. Have you ever seen it? Staff, ball, it's this orb. And on top of the orb is a cross, and it represents to them this orb is the world. The cross represents that there is a king of the entire world, and you're not it. Unbelievable that they will coronate the king with all of this symbolism. Whether or not they're subject to it in their hearts, that was, that's the reality. It's a declaration. When I, when I see that, I'm sure there'll be all kinds of coverage and whatever. When I see that, I'm going to be thinking, look at this declaration that there is a king and nobody here is it. It's amazing to me. But there's absolutely nothing on earth like this kingdom. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. What that means is you're not going to find anything on earth that looks like my kingdom. And so the only way we can really know is that we, we know it through his word and through knowing him as king. That's how the kingdom is revealed to us. This morning, we went from singing about how you never leave me and other words like that that I can't remember at the moment. And there was this declaration of, of his goodness towards us and he doesn't leave us and he hasn't abandoned us and he's always there. And we went right into then singing of, of his kingdom and his lordship. Because this connection to his kingdom comes through this revelation of who the king is and this deep, intense connection with him. That's partially how we can know the king. We can't take worldly concepts or man-made forms of government and authority and use it as a template for kingdom language or for what, what is true in the kingdom of God. And I think there is something that the Lord's doing to bring, oh, Lordy, to bring a, a purity to that, a clarity to that for us. That we have been in this world and in the kingdoms of this world, and we begin to try to take the kingdoms of this world and try to kind of fashion them to look like the kingdom of our God. Or we begin to try to tease out aspects of, of the kingdoms of this world and go, oh, this is kingdom. No, it's not. There's nothing on earth that is going to represent fully the kingdom of our God. And so we need to be clear about that. The government of God is not like anything we've seen. This is why Jesus spent so much time, because it wasn't like anything they'd seen either. And they had a king. They had, they understood kingship. But he came to say, no, I'm going to be your king. And so then he began to say, the kingdom of heaven is like. And it was offensive to them because it wasn't like the kingdom they thought he was coming to bring. And so Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like. And then he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. So not only did he come to talk about it, but he came to represent it, the nature and the culture of the kingdom. And, and everything around him began to be shaped by the culture of the kingdom. So he came not just to talk about it, but to demonstrate it. And he said things like, you've heard it said, but I say. Everything in his kingdom was offensive 
to the way that they viewed a kingdom. The government of God, the kingdom and his kingship is not like anything that we know on earth. So how is it defined? The word that's used is basilia, which again is just our closest possible earthly representation. The realm in which a king sovereignly rules. An authority, a rule or dominion, a territory subject to the rule of our king. You can't have a basilia or a kingdom without a king. And we begin to see that all other kingdoms are limited and will inevitably fall. We've seen that throughout history. The very kingdom that Israel had hoped that Jesus would come and set them free from ultimately collapsed. Rome. And so every, every earthly kingdom will inevitably fall because his is the only kingdom that cannot fail. And so we can't try to take his kingdom to prop up our kingdoms. We can't, if, if only, if we get enough of the ideals of the kingdom woven into our earthly kingdom, somehow it will, no, it will not endure. Every earthly kingdom will fall because there is one kingdom that is enduring. So we need to recognize that we are of a different kingdom. When we came to believe in Jesus, when we came to believe that he was who he says he is, we were conveyed from one kingdom into another one. Colossians says one, in 1.13, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of his beloved son. Do you know the closest definition of this? You'll love this, babe. Is like what happens in Star Trek. Oh, I love it. It is. It means to be transported or translated. That, that I dematerialize from this kingdom and I materialize in this kingdom. And I'm no longer there, now I'm here. So not only... Not only is it salvation, but the reality that I've been taken from this kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. This is my new place of dwelling. In Colossians, we don't have time to read it, but in Colossians, it goes on to proclaim the preeminence of Christ, that all things are for him and through him. And You've been taken from this kingdom into this kingdom where all things were created by him, for him, through him. You've been translated into the kingdom of this king. Not only do we belong to a different kingdom, so we are in a different kingdom. Say, I'm in a different kingdom. I'm in a different kingdom. Okay. Not only do I belong to a different kingdom, but the kingdom is in me. It's in me. Okay, say that. The kingdom is in me. Okay. So in Luke 17, 21, the Pharisees who are always trying to trip Jesus up, they say, well, where is this kingdom? And when is it coming? And Jesus says, it's not something that you're going to say, look here or look there. It's not going to have a big sign. 
It's not going to be the biggest church on the block. It's not going to be this big name. It's not that. The kingdom is inside of you. It may not look very tall, but it's going to be very, very wide (laughs) because it's going to be inside of you and it's going to be dispersed through people. So there should be, I am in a different kingdom and a different kingdom is in me. So there should be increasing and compounding evidence that I am of a different kingdom. We, we often, we will see somebody in our community and we might notice they are from a different kingdom. They've immigrated from another place to here. There are signs of that. There are practices. There are things that they do and and ways that they dress and and whatever. And we see this evidence that they're of a different kingdom. The same should be true for us. There is increasing evidence. As we get to know the king more and more, as we recognize our citizenship, there's increasing evidence that we're of a different kingdom. Hey, babe, would you mind letting the classrooms know we're going to take about 10 minutes long? I made an executive decision. If you have to go, you feel free. Um, So there is a kingdom that's within us, and there should be evidence of it. And here's the evidence we most often connect to. Here's the evidence in our circle that we most often believe, and it is, by the way, the evidence that we think should be there if we're of a different kingdom is we should have an authority over sickness, death, oppression, and those things. That's a reality. That when we are of a different kingdom, we will have an authority. This is what Jesus modeled this is what he released through his disciples. Matthew verse, uh, chapter 10, verse 7, he said, As you go, announce this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, drive out demons. This is the message. The kingdom of heaven is here. Here's the demonstration of that reality. In another place, he sends them out and he says, Heal the sick. And then say to them, the kingdom of heaven has come near to you. And so there is an authority that we walk in when we are walking on behalf of the kingdom. That is something that the word says will mark our life. Signs and wonders will follow those that believe. But it is not the only mark. And I think that there are times... When we, <clears throat> come on now, when we put a lot on that kingdom activity, a lot of weight on that kingdom activity, we know that this is a way that Jesus will sometimes demonstrate that he demonstrated the kingdom. You know that a different kingdom is present because some of the rules of this kingdom 
are being violated by that kingdom. And this is something that I continue to press into, that I continue to want to have. But here's what I recognize. Authority is a part of the kingdom. But not just carrying authority, but being subject to authority. Jesus was subject. Jesus had authority because he was subject to authority. He was subject to the rule and reign of God. He operated in the authority of God because he was submitted to the authority of God. He said things like, I only do what I see the Father doing. I only say what I hear the Father saying. How many of you can say, I only say what I hear the Father saying? In our really good moments, maybe. But there is a sub- subjection to the, to the authority of the kingdom that releases authority through us. And that's part of the invitation that we have to step into that. Jesus had to make a decision to subject his will to the will of the Father. How do we know that? Because he said it. If you could take this cup, but not my will, your will be done. That means that there was a moment, or maybe several, where the will of Jesus did not line up with the will of the Father. And he put that in subjection to the will of the Father and said, not my will, but yours be done. We will have authority to the degree that we are subject to authority. And so it's an invitation to not only walk in authority, but to walk under authority. Another aspect that we see evidence of the kingdom is our relationship to the king. There's a loyalty to the king. There's a love for the king. I don't know how many Brits you have met. Okay, maybe in a different era, there was a lot of love for the king or for the queen. They have mugs. They have shirts. They have little things on their wall. They have, there's a love for the, the king of this kingdom or the queen of this kingdom. And so there's something in us that needs to recognize that my, uh, the display of me being part of a different kingdom has to do with my devotion and love for the king. It has to do with my relationship to the king, my intimacy with the king. This is what Jesus made possible was this very close relationship with our king. And it's that through that relationship that we evidence the kingdom, through knowing his love deeply. I can be subject to him to the degree that I can know the depths of his love. Because when I know his love and I know his goodness, it's very easy to yield to his will. When I don't trust that, it's very difficult to yield to his will because I'm not so sure. So there's something in that relationship. And yes, there's that authority. And we can sometimes 
get very fixated on this concept of miracles and breakthrough and, and that kind of faith culture. And again, I want those things. I long for those things. Why? Because it looks fun? No, because it demonstrates the kingdom. <laughs> because it demonstrates the will of the king and the love of the king and the goodness of the king. But we can get so fixated on that. And we need, I want that faith. But when our, the focus of our devotion and the desire for the kingdom and our worship ceases to be about the king himself, about Jesus himself, everything else gets out of alignment. The kingdom cannot and will not be revealed apart from the king. This is why I don't, I don't get all warm and fuzzy when people go, well, you know, they're... They'll talk about something, they'll say, well, they're, they're really, they're operating in kingdom concepts. They have kingdom ideals, but Jesus is never named in that. Ultimately, it's about the king. And, and so this is where I believe a lot of humanism has crept into the church as we go, oh, we want the ideals of the kingdom without the lordship and the devotion to the king. We want the ideals of the kingdom and the ways of the kingdom. You know, people are attracted to the ways of God's kingdom because they're good and right and they work. Whether or not we acknowledge where they're coming from. But there is a place that he's calling us into that says Christ is the cornerstone and if he is not the cornerstone, everything else is going to be out of alignment. Christ is the cornerstone, not even signs and wonders and miracles. My pursuit is Christ, and I line up with him, and then whatever, that's, the rest comes. And so this is our, our declaration that Christ is the cornerstone of the kingdom. I believe that there is an alignment coming to the body of Christ that is making worship about the king again. That is making our desire and our devotion about the king again. I want breakthrough and miracles and the signs and wonders that follow those who believe. But that will come as the result of a people that are in alignment with the king and in subjection to the king in every other way. Another way that we recognize the kingdom on our lives is that we live a completely different way, like we talked about. Our citizenship is of a different place. The Bible refers to us as peculiar people. And yet we work really hard not to be peculiar, <laughs> We work really hard to just kind of blend in with the, with the way of the world. There, there is an aspect of us being uh, in the world and not of it. There are ways that the Lord uh, talks about us being brought into the world as leaven. We don't have to be super yeasty. But we do need to bring that with us, and it is going to be different. We are going to live in a different way. 
This is how we know that we're citizens of a different kingdom. 1 Peter 2.11 says, Beloved, otherwise translated, those who are loved by God, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, other translations use the word exiles, abstain from fleshly lust which war against the soul. Basically, he's going on to say, I beg you, be of this kingdom. You are sojourners of that kingdom. You don't belong there, but I've sent you there. We're going to talk more about that. And so there should be something different about the way that we live. Do I celebrate what the kingdom celebrates? Or do I celebrate what the world celebrates? Do I value what the kingdom values? Do I act out of those values? It's upside down to what we know. Do you know living in the kingdom is like trying to back up a trailer. For me, anyway. It's a good show. It's kind of the same as trying to curl my hair in the mirror. Same deal. But I thought the trailer might appeal to a larger audience. But it's like living in the kingdom is backwards. If you want to be the greatest, be the least. If you want to gain your life, lose it. If you want to be mature, be like a child. Childlike, not childish. Just saying. Right? If you want to be lifted up, be humble. You've heard it said, love your neighbor. I say love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. We cannot think that we can live in and bring the kingdom if we refuse to live in the ways and the values and the culture of the kingdom. And we justify it all day long. We justify it and say, well, this is justice, or this is right, or I have every reason, or... No, there's a way of the kingdom, and we live by that way. That's how I know I'm of a different kingdom. That's how they know I'm of a different kingdom. And so he's inviting us to live in the way that he has invited us to live. In a future message, we're going to talk about that we, another way is that we are representatives of the kingdom. That we are in exile, but we're in exile on a mission with authority. We're not just wandering around, hiding out until Jesus comes. That's a teaser for a future message. How do we respond? Can I get the worship team up? I just want to close with this response. We opened with what Jesus declared, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I believe there is a repentance that the Lord is inviting us into. There is a repentance, not the kind of repentance that's like, oh, okay, I'll stop doing bad stuff. But this is what repentance means to change one's mind or purpose, to be changed after being with, to think differently. There is an inner turning that the Lord is drawing us into towards his kingdom this morning. There is an inner response that he, he's eliciting from us. It's not about our behavior, although our behavior will change when this changes. But he's inviting us into 
this prayer, that we would be transformed by the prayer, that we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds. That's really what repentance is. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It means change your mind and align it with my thinking and my mindsets. And so we're, I want to respond to that this morning. And I, I pray because this moment here is, is a catalyst for it. But I pray that our response goes throughout this week and the week after and the week after. That there is a repentance towards his kingdom that he's drawing us into. And I feel like the repentance comes with this prayer, your kingdom come. Our prayer for his kingdom to come is, yes, praying for the conversion of those who don't yet trust him. But this morning, our prayer of your kingdom come is a prayer of repentance that says, I want to turn fully towards your kingdom. I want there to be evidence that I am of a different kingdom. I want to subject myself wholly to the king. Whatever, whatever aspect of that is, is touching your heart. <clears throat> you know, we're between this season of resurrection and Pentecost in our calendar. <laughs> and I have to believe, as they sat in the upper room, they prayed because he taught them to pray this way. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. And they came this, this filling for them to be able to walk that out. And so I feel like the, these next several weeks is just this, this waiting on the Lord and this prayer building and building in us that says, your kingdom come, your kingdom come, your kingdom come. That we would center ourselves on this each day. That I wouldn't even pray any other prayer until I pray this, your kingdom come. Because that'll change what I pray. Otherwise, I come with my needs. What if the prayer had started, give me this day my daily bread? But it didn't. It started, your kingdom come. So let's subject ourselves to the king this morning and to his kingdom. We are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. I want to open up the altar this morning as we sing this. If you want to, nobody's going to pray for you during this time, which some of you, you're like, yay. Um, I just want to open up the altar. If you need to just come as an act of this repentance, as an act of this turning towards the Lord, and it's not even, do you know that we can repent even if we're not doing anything wrong? <laughs> it's not about that. It's about pressing in and, and changing our mindset. So feel free to come and we're going to lay down and subject ourselves to his kingdom so that we can receive a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Amen? Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. 
To learn more about us, please visit livingwatersmn.org.